a couple things. One, from 1987 until February 28th, 2020, Joe Biden won a total of zero <laughs> states in three presidential runs. Right. From February 29th, Saturday, till last night, Tuesday, he has won 10. <laughs> um, Late bloomer. It is a, it is an unprecedented comeback. You know, I'm, I'm still sitting there going, let's hang on, because he's been a good candidate for three days. Yeah, yeah. He has been a terrible candidate for about 300 days. And when he was the fir- the last time he was the clear front runner, he didn't wear that uniform very well. The Democrats pulled off an amazing wipeout of Bernie Sanders. They destroyed his presidential campaign in the space of a week. Joe Biden went from like 10 to 1 or 14 to 1 at some places to be the nominee to now basically being the prohibitive favorite to be the nominee against Donald Trump. It's really remarkable to see. The biggest question Democrats will have is, how will the Bernie bros respond? But again, I wouldn't even worry about them because this election comes down to Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Whatever happens in those three states will decide who the president is. Bernie bros, socialist, sayonara bros. You guys are out. Congrats to the Democrats for making a smart decision. Trump versus Biden. It's going to be an interesting battle indeed. What the hell is that? Yes, my name is Brian. What would you say you do here? Stone on air. I'm so happy I could die. Ah, dude, just kill me now. I'm so happy I could die right now. I'm so happy since you left me. I could die because I'm so just kill me now welcome in everybody to the stone on air podcast it's been a couple of weeks since i put a show out there and i was 10 solid minutes into the show lining everything up everything flowing pretty good pretty happy with the way things were and this bleeping bleep of a computer which is a pretty new pc shuts down right in the middle of my recording we've Encountered a problem. Windows must restart. Oh my God! Damn it! And so I'm already getting a late start on the show on Tuesday, the 10th of March. Around 11 o'clock was when I got started, and I was already irritated with how late that was. I've been watching returns from Super Tuesday two, and. Um, and so now it's 11.31, and let's start it over. I guess the good news here is is that this could be 25, 35, 45 minutes in, and it not been, uh, or it crashed in the middle of recording, and um, and uh, there you go. But, uh, ugh, God, it's frustrating. All right, let's see. Let's try to recreate the beginning of the show. It's 3.11 day, March 11th, 2020. Just figured that was worth mentioning. Um, what I noticed recently here is, and I'll set up the show here in just a second after this thought, is that when I took the deadline, the self-imposed deadline off of the show coming into the new year, it hasn't changed really all that much except it's taken a lot of stress off of me. Um, as most of you know who are regulars here that this was the midweek download destination, which I love that tagline. I thought that had such a strong um, and an important kind of uh, uh, call to action. And 
but you know, making it an every Wednesday download and trying to create appointment listening or at least appointment downloading. And once the end of the weekend started to get here and I, if I didn't have a solid idea already, I was having to try to really reach and stretch for one. And then I would have to do Monday evening, the pre-production, or if I hadn't done pre-production, that was going to make a stressful Monday evening that was going to make a stressful Tuesday to try to make up time, and then the recording that night. And there's a lot of layers to this show. It's not just hit, you know put a hit hit record and go like many po- uh, podcasts are. I'm I'm not mad at people who do it that way. I'm not saying I'm superior to anybody else. I'm just saying that you know I'm the executive producer. I'm the director. I'm the editor. I am the uh, researcher. I'm the producer. I'm everybody. And there's a lot of layers to make it sound like I want it to. It was stressing me out every week, and it was making it completely a chore and not fun at all. Well, what happened is, is I looked up last week, and I was trying to... I, most of this was put together last week. I just didn't get around to, to hammering, or hammering it out because I wanted to watch Super Tuesday all night long. And then Wednesday, I ran out of time. And by the end of the week, I think th- dropping a podcast on a Friday is a terrible idea. It just gets lost in the weekend flood. But I was looking at the calendar... And noticed that we were nine weeks in to the year, and I had done eight podcasts in 2020. They just didn't all fall on a Wednesday. And that made me realize that it it, 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 it freed me up. It was a little liberating of like, hey, cool, I'll just do a podcast when there's a need for one, rather than trying to force one, which I think in the end, if you pay enough attention, you can always make a need for commentary on the passing parade if that's what you're doing. Um, so I like it. I'm happy. I had a lot of people, and I, I'm flattered by it, and I, I love anybody who reached out and said, hey, man, why aren't you doing the show anymore? I was like, well, I mean, I'm not going to not do the show anymore. I'm going to do podcasts when they seem to be necessary, not necessarily because I've guaranteed you one every Wednesday, and um, I'm happy with that with that approach and the results so far. So coming up in today's show, it'll be a three-segment show. The first one, I'm going to bounce around hodgepodge of stuff. The second segment of the show, I'm going to dive into the coronavirus and look back at other scares of the 21st century. And the final segment of the show, I'm going to look back at the tornadoes that went through Middle Tennessee, more specifically East Nashville, a week ago, right about right now. It might have been a week ago last night or a week ago tonight in the middle of the night or in the morning. I don't remember exactly, but it was last week roughly. And tornadoes are obviously a terrifying thing, and we've had to deal with them here in Chattanooga before, so it, it there's a little bit of familiarity with that kind of devastation because we've we've kind of witnessed it around us here more than once in the last decade. And East Nashville is a community that I have become very familiar with over the course of the last really almost now seven years, but certainly more and more in the last three or four or five years. I can go out to places in Five Points. I can go to uh, the basement east that was destroyed by the tornado. I can go to places up and down Main Street in Gallatin and run into people that I know. I can go to the Village Pub in East Nashville and, and the waiter, Zach, if he's still there, uh, and talk to him about Chattanooga and Nashville and the Titans and soccer and everything else. So it really has kind of become a, uh, a second home to me. And so uh, I'll look at some of that here in the final segment of the show. But let's take a look at what we got here today. All right, so 
Uh, the website's still a mess. I don't know when that's going to become a thing that I am going to direct you to. And I'm not going to pretend like, oh, working on that, hopefully here soon. Yeah, I don't have any idea. Uh, the local music show that I've been talking about for months now on Alt 98.7 here in Chattanooga, little small wattage FM station I work at Monday through Friday, I'm getting completely blown off on that idea. I had it set up, ready to go for uh, the, the new year starting in January and getting that, oh, yeah, that sounds like that'll work. And then we had a bunch of personnel changes, some on-air changes, some salesmen, sales directors, lots of uh, coming and going and exiting from the company. And it's kind of made the place overall feel a little uneasy. You know, I still love the company that I work for, and I love my bosses and my coworkers. I get along with everybody. But there's a little bit of uneasiness in the hallways, and so I'm, I'm not trying to you know, bother anybody more than I need to right now. I'm just hoping to continue to get paid and to just stay on the air every, air every day. So hopefully that'll happen. But one of the biggest reasons that I was pushing into the new year was I wanted the local music show to be connected and the radio station to be connected to the Road to Nightfall uh, Battle of the Bands, quote-unquote, if you will, uh, series that just wrapped up this past weekend. And it's just all local bands competing, 30 of them over the course of a few nights, and then the, the winner was this past weekend at Songbirds, a band called We Are Us. Now, there's something that the band We Are Us shares in common with virtually every other band on that, uh, on that list going in. I'd barely heard of any of them. I mean, I've heard of maybe five of them, something like that. So I don't know if that's a testament or a reflection on my age and just how disconnected I am with the, the youthful movement of the music scene or if that is an indictment on the music scene itself, or if that is kind of saying, hey, maybe Road to Nightfall has run its course and bands don't even feel like getting involved with it who are actually uh, have name recognition. I, I'm not saying one or the other or all three. I'm, not sh- I'm just not sure. But We Are Us is the band that won uh, the Road to Nightfall, so they will be at Nightfall at uh, some point this summer, and congratulations to them. So on the front end was just a random commentary of uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats. Basically, I mean, it does kind of seem like they, they got together and almost schemed this to push Bernie Sanders out once again. Um, I am a Joe Biden guy. I want Joe Biden to be president. I have been a very big fan of Joe Biden, you know, ever since uh, his his vice presidency. I think that if he didn't make the poor decision to uh, step aside and let Hillary have, quote-unquote, her turn in 2016. I believe he would be running for re-election right now. Um, obviously, I there's no way for me to know that, but that's what I truly believe. And they have, uh, the, the establishment has done a, a, a remarkable job of ganging up together to push out Bernie Sanders. And I adore Bernie Sanders. I love uh, much of what he he teaches and he spreads in his message and his ideology, uh, all those things. Just not all of it. And certain parts of it are just plain dumb. And certain parts of Elizabeth Warren, when the things she says, because they come from kind of cut from the same cloth, it's just not, it just doesn't make sense. Like this is not, this is not going to resonate across the country the way that you think that it's going to. There is no revolution. I like how Joe says, we're not looking for a revolution. We're looking for results, meaning most of us from a from a the Democratic side, the left leaning moderates, the left crazies, the you know, anybody who's not a Republican and certainly not a Trump bro, 
we don't want Don Trump to be president anymore. And we'll do whatever it takes to, to get him out of office. And right now, everybody is understanding what I have been saying since there's 20 people standing on that stage however many months ago. There's only one guy up there, only one guy or gal up there on those podiums that can defeat Donald Trump, and it's Joe Biden. I mean, this is just a, so you're telling me there's a chance kind of thing. I don't necessarily think he for sure will. I don't think that he even might. I have a feeling Don's Trump's running away with this thing again. I just want to have a GD opportunity, and the majority of Americans aren't going to get behind, you know, a what is pretty much a radical Bernie Sanders platform. They're just not. So many parts of that I'm a fan of, but a few that I just, you know, I, I can't get completely behind, and most people amongst the party are not, and I'm a moderate Democrat and closer to a libertarian. I'm a left-leaning libertarian, moderate Democrat, all right? That's, that's just what it's finally officially become. And so the Bernie bros are pissed off as hell. Uh, now what you're seeing all over social media, Twitter primarily with the hashtags, is the cognitive decline of Joe Biden. I mean, he, yeah, he slips a little bit, but he's had, what, two aneurysms, and he's 77 years old. He's been doing this a long time. He's been talking out loud a long time. He's going to say some st- stupid stuff occasionally. He's going to flub and say something dumb. He's been doing it for 40 years. The good news is the president of the United States right now says whatever stupid shit he feels like any minute of the day. So that doesn't really matter. Nobody truly cares about that. But nobody was hashtag cognitive de- decline before Biden you know, came out and just started waxing Bernie in the and everybody else on Super Tuesday. And now, as of last check, he's neck and neck in Washington State. He won Michigan today. He's winning this nomination. It's over. It's done. Bernie, you're out. I mean, it's not on paper done, but Joe Biden is going to be the uh, the candidate. And now there's just people are just trying to figure out different ways to hate. And the Bernie bros that now are going to be saying Biden and Trump are the same. I mean, th- you th- this is lunacy. This is pure idiocy. And that's another reason I can't get on board with the Bernie Sanders uh, coalition is not about Bernie. I love Bernie. It's about his some of his supporters. My goodness. Would you hear what you're saying? And most of these people weren't even barely old enough to vote, you know, when Obama was president. And most of them hate him now, too. So whatever. I mean, there's just still a lot of us that think personal responsibility is still a thing in this country. And that's what it feels like a lot of the Elizabeth Warren, Bernie types. They don't want to take responsibility for the stupid shit they've done in their life. And call me old man, if you will, because I am kind of old. I'm 40 years old in a month from yesterday. And I'm not mad about that, nor am I apologizing for that. A couple more things here, and I'll wrap up the segment. Um, let's see. I was going to talk Riverbend. I'll do that. I'll do that another time. We'll, I'll break down some Riverbend stuff later. Uh, the Molson Coors shooting in Milwaukee a couple weeks ago because of coronavirus and the primaries and whatever else, that thing got completely glossed over by almost everybody. Um, up in uh, Milwaukee, it's the old, it used to be called Miller Coors Brewing. They've had some restructuring within the company. They've changed the company name to Molson Coors Beverage Company. It was around 10, 12, 13 years ago or so that Miller and Coors merged to make Miller Coors Brewing Company. And then somehow, with all the conglomeration of everything, Molson out of Canada, that name got kind of took over the Miller name here recently. And so now it's Molson Coors 
beverage company is they're trying to get away from the brewing of the beer and more of the seltzers and the hard drinks out there that are so popular these days. Anyway, the shooting was at the old Miller Coors Brewing Company that has the tour. It's a massive campus. I've been there just as a tourist, not as an employee of the, you know, of a distributor that distributes all those products. I just went as a fan of the uh, of their products when I was in Milwaukee about eight years ago, I guess, I think it was 2011. Such a gorgeous campus, such a fun tour to go on. Uh, just so cool. And I talk about shootings over the years when it's, you know, when it feels necessary. And I don't go into very far depths into ones that are in churches or in movies or in movie theaters or in schools or in places that I just don't frequent. I mean, I'm never going to get shot at, at an elementary school. I'm never going to get shot in a movie theater because I don't go to movie theaters. I'm never going to get shot in a church because I don't ever go to a church. But I work for a distributor of Miller Coors, and I've been to the campus of Miller Coors Brewing, and I hear something like that, and it does, it makes me, I don't know what the right word is, sad, I guess. It makes me stop and think about it anyway. And then just to see it get almost no coverage, another mass shooting once again, and almost really nobody seems to care. I thought that was worth uh mentioning and then the last thing on the way out here this segment have y'all heard of this mcmillions deal it's a uh six episode docuseries on the scam from the monopoly game from night at mcdonald's from 1989 to 2001 and how organized crime was involved on this and millions and millions and millions where it was all a scam and virtually unless you just won a you know a, a free small fry or you know a, a free burger or something almost no legitimate winners over the course of that time i had somebody several years ago reach out to me and point me in the direction of the daily beast the uh online and probably in print publication from the uk picked up this story and somebody sent it to me and said hey you should do a whole show on this this is fascinating stuff and i read this it's like a I'm making up numbers, but like a 10,000 word piece. It's so long and so convoluted. And I thought, I am. I printed the whole thing off. I was like, I'm going to do a whole show on this. Nobody's heard of this. This is fascinating. People stealing the game win- game winning pieces, Parkway and Boardwalk and all that, and the instant million winners and, and everything that went along with it. And then after I got halfway through it, I was like, I can't even, I can't even barely understand what's going on by just reading it verbatim. I don't know how that I could get on a, a podcast and talk about it without having somebody on to help enlighten me. So I never got around to it. Well, HBO made a docuseries about it, and I'm one away from finishing it. It's fascinating stuff. You should check it out. Problem is, it's too long. It's definitely too long, but it's uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. And then Better Call Saul started back here recently, and I don't have AMC. I don't have AMC. I'll do a whole show on this someday with this bull bleep about uh, different streaming services and cutting the cord and cables, you know, think of the past. I, watching TV now has gotten out of hand on how difficult it is to do outside of cable. Um, that's a farce. That's a lie. I might be going back to cable one of these days. But I don't have AMC, so I'm not uh, watching Better Call Saul, which is upsetting me because I love that that series, and it's been off the air now for almost two full years and then Ozarks comes back to wherever the hell I watch it at. Is that Netflix? 
I don't remember. Anyway, that's a really good show. If you haven't uh, given that a look, this is the third season that's about to start here in the next uh, week or two. So you can binge through that thing really, really fast. All right, let's see. Coming up next, the coronavirus is going to kill us all. And at first, when I was putting this segment together, I had one approach. And as I put it together and continued to listen and read and be reasonable, I kind of came across to another approach. And then I met in the middle when it was all said and done. But I will also go back and look at many of the virus scares of the 21st century as well. It is 3-11 day 2020 on the Stone On Air podcast Talking the coronavirus. Coming up next. Now more. Stone on air. It's about to get all stupid up in here. Stoneonair.com. President Trump held a press conference today to educate the public about the coronavirus, but I'm not sure it worked because according to a new survey, 38% of Americans say they won't drink Corona beer (laughs) because it sounds like coronavirus, while the rest won't drink it because it tastes like syphilis. Donald Trump is the worst person to possibly ease people's fears. Trump's whole thing is that he whips arenas into a frenzy of anger and bloodlust. Hoping Trump can calm people down is like hoping cocaine can fight insomnia. (laughs) And I don't really trust Trump on medical issues because remember, this is what he had to say about Ebola. This is a much different problem than Ebola. Ebola, you disintegrated. You got Ebola, that was it. (laughs) You disintegrated? It is bad religion infected. You and me have a disease. You affect me. You infect me. (sighs) All right, I got a couple pieces here. I have several, actually. One really, really long. And especially, I'm just still so irritated about having to start this damn show over again. Uh, Let's see. So, this is from the radio station. Sent out in the uh, wake of all the hysteria of this. All in this heightened awareness of illness being spread is important to remind you that you should not come to work if you are sick. That means if you are feverish or have any symptoms... That may mean you are contagious. The best way to keep those these viruses from spreading is not expose your coworkers. Bayhackle Communications has already issued some guidelines, and more will be coming. Wash your hands. Use hand sanitizer. Sneeze or cough into your elbow or a tissue. We will all work in close quarters. The more vigilance you show in protecting yourself and your coworkers the better we will be through this season. And I think uh, that mostly all goes without saying and should be practiced pretty much all the time. It was just quite literally a week and a half ago that I was texting my immediate boss saying, hey, I'm not sick enough to stay home, but I want to wipe down you know, the microphones in here because I've, I've got a pretty heavy cold. And I was like, okay, yeah, well, the wipes are right over there. <laughs> so... Now, if I said that, they would be running down there and rushing me out in, you know, a hazmat suit or something because of how uh, the hysteria for this is. And I'm starting to come around to it a little bit more that it is a bigger deal than I initially would have um, 
giving it credit for and kind of just rolled my eyes like, all right, here we go. I mean, I'm still rolling my eyes. Don't get me wrong. But part of the issue here we have, too, is people are worried about hospitals being overrun and and, and all this. It, listen, it, this is just a strain of the flu. This is just a variation of the flu. You know how you get over the flu? Chicken noodle soup, some TheraFlu, some Sprite maybe if you need something other than water, and uh, and and, re- and bed rest. I mean, that, that's how a flu gets cured. The idea of, hey, I've got the flu, I need to go to the doctor, is part of the reason why our health care is such a mess in this country. Now, it's a very small reason. There's so many reasons why health care is absolutely just disastrously flawed in the United States of America. But one of them is the, 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 just the rampant nature of just random asshole Americans going to the doctor every time they're sick. Every time there's, I have a migraine, got to go to the doctor. I've got, I'm sick. I got to go. I got to go to the ER. I wake up with a chest pain. I got to go to the ER now. I've got the flu. Take them to the doctor. I mean, I, doctors are very smart people. I get it. They're highly educated and they know a lot about medicine. But when it comes to simple everyday, you're just sick and you're not special needs or anything like that. You're just your average person. You don't need to be going to the hospital anyway. But that's another thought for another day. But a couple of things here real quick. I mean, people are freaking out. I mean, they're just, they're losing their bleep over this. And I refuse to do that. I refuse to panic and I refuse to live my life in fear. Um, uh, Coachella out in California has just been announced as of today that it is being postponed until October. That festival takes place in late April. And they're able to uh, secure two weekends to do it in October. Okay. I mean, there you go. I don't know how much difference the weather is in that area of California from April to October. Probably not all that much. People are concerned about Bonnaroo. The thing about all flus, this flu in particular, though, when using science to look at this, from what I can read, not I'm not pretending like I know all this stuff, that above 68 degrees, this strand of coronavirus can't survive for very long. So if you cough into the middle of the air and it's 80 degrees, it's going to die almost immediately. If you cough in the middle, you know, without covering your mouth and it's like 50 degrees, it's going to land on the table and sit there for like two weeks and still be potentially able to be uh, contagious. So while we're still in the cooler temperatures, I understand why the the uh, concern is heightened. But the biggest thing that's pissed me off beyond belief and has screwed up my whole springtime is the Pearl Jam Tour has been postponed. Um, I hope that means every show gets rescheduled, but I'm not in any kind of foolish way going to assume that they all will guarantee to be rescheduled. Nashville was the only southeastern date on the uh, on this spring leg. April 2nd, I got my damn tickets. I was, I've been counting these da- days down for months now. And it's the week of my birthday. It's my favorite month of the year, favorite time of the year. And the show's damn moved. And at first I was really pissed off. I guess I still kind of am. But uh, I guess more and more that I, I, I read about it and understand more about it, I guess I get it. But there's still, there's still this that I can't get over. As opposed to so many Bernie bros and the ones that seem to be the loudest on social media... I have been an adult for this entire century, and I have worked for a media company since 2002, and I have worked regularly within 
the kind of news-ish media since 2005 at uh, Talk Radio here in Chattanooga. So I have been focusing on the stories of the day for at least 15 years. And I got to thinking, how many times have we done this? How many times have we collectively lost our bleep over some kind of virus, something that was going to kill us, something that was terrifying us, going to make us sick and kill us? Well, quickly I came up with one, two, three, four, five, six, now seven times over the course of the first two decades of the 21st century. The Nile virus, SARS, bird flu, swine flu, Ebola, Zika virus, and now coronavirus. And I decided to put together a little montage of all those, starting off with Stephen King talking about his movie, The Stand. This is a little bit over four minutes long. I uh, put a little bit of work into this. This is what we've been freaking out about throughout the entire 21st century. It's about the end of the world. That's, you know, nutshell. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's about a uh, chemical, bacteriological warfare installation, top secret, in the California desert where they are making uh, a form of flu that's uh, impossible for the human body to beat. The Corona hotline is back, people. New year, new operator, same hotline. Rumble here. What do I do? All right, grab a Corona. Got it. Now go back and sit with your friends. Done. And boom! Thanks, Tony. Good talk. In California, there are two cases where it's not known where the patients got the virus, but officials say they didn't travel to a place with coronavirus. They didn't come into contact with any traveler or an infected person. So we're waiting as well for the CDC to confirm at least three presumptive positive cases. 2002. One Health Watch, the U.S. is on alert for West Nile virus. West Nile is the most common virus transmitted by mosquitoes. The recent spike is common for this time of year. Dania Bacchus has more on how to protect yourself. You may have noticed more of those pesky mosquitoes biting recently. 2004. When the SARS epidemic hit Toronto, another outbreak followed, a media fever. SARS dominated the news as the mystery bugs spread. Networks broadcast daily press conferences with doctors, public health officials, and conflicting messages. Newspapers printed as many as 25 articles a day about the disease. They frequently mentioned the disease's origins in China. Images of Asian populations wearing surgical masks were burned into public consciousness as a symbol of SARS. The end is near! We are all gonna die! 2005. The first case of a bird flu virus infecting a person directly, H5N1, was in Hong Kong in 1997. Since then, the bird flu virus has spread to birds in countries in Asia, Africa, the Middle East, and Europe. Human infection is still very rare, but the virus that causes the infection in birds might change, or mutate, to more easily infect humans. This could lead to a pandemic, a worldwide outbreak of the illness. You hear that, guys? We're finally gonna die! 2009. Fear is running high as the death toll rises in Mexico's capital city. The worried line up for testing, their faces covered with masks. 
The government in this city of 20 million closed all public places, including schools, in a desperate attempt to stop the spread of this strain of flu never seen before. With more than 1,000 people sick in Mexico and eight recent cases in the U.S., U.S. health officials are watching this outbreak closely. And if you die, I feel like that's on me. Oh, you don't want to go. <laughs> 2014. Gwen, uh, you're talking about an Ebola out outbreak in Central Africa. It's getting worse. It is. Good morning, Anne Marie. The Ebola crisis in the Democratic Republic of Congo continues, where the outbreak has reached record numbers, according to Doctors Without Borders. More than 2,200 people have died. A new report shows a resurgence of the virus in five cities since December. Ebola, Ebola, and back here at home and a major health alert tonight, the Zika virus being spread by mosquitoes right here in the U.S. At least four people infected after being bitten near downtown Miami. Today, health officials going door to door to test residents. And tonight, a warning from England to its pregnant residents, do not travel to Florida. So I want to, uh, to, to let you know that based on the uh, uh, recommendation of our public health officer and our director of public health and associated with that have issued an order that effectively cancels uh, South by Southwest for this year. I've used this song before. It's called You Are Overreacting by a band called Brad Sucks, as a matter of fact. You are overreacting. Um, I gave that to Jeff Styles to use on his show. So if you listen to 92.9, you might have heard that on his show. Maybe today or tomorrow or whenever. I don't know. Uh, and are people overreacting? Of course they are. But people have been overreacting to being scared shitless from the media, when it, especially when it comes to disease for, well, forever, but certainly for the last uh, two decades. And there's all the example that you need to know. But here's some, a few things I'm going to read here, and then I'll get out here, and then I'll do the uh, Nashville Tornado talk, and then I'm going to get uh, done with this uh, mess and take it uh, upstairs and be done with it. Uh, last check, it was quite literally a 0.1% difference between Biden and Sanders in Washington State on Super Tuesday 2. This is from Mark Sirota, MD, from a Facebook post that was uh, circulating. He is an actual doctor. One, coronaviruses are a family of viruses. Coronavirus is not unique to this particular strand. Everyone reading this has likely had another di different coronavirus infection. This particular strand has been named COVID-19, so COVID-19. Two, every upper respiratory virus has the potential to be lethal. Patients, unfortunately, die from many upper respiratory viral infections every year, most prominently the influenza virus. 30,000 people died from influenza in 2019. The media didn't report on each one. They have reported on all 11 coronavirus deaths, not telling us about the people lost, but rather keeping a death toll. Coronavirus, 11 deaths in 2020, 3,300 in China. Influenza, 30,000. 
In summary, 30,000 people died from the flu last year. Another 30,000 people died in car accidents. He goes on to talk about being uh, in the ER and during 2009 swine flu hysteria and give some anecdotal uh, commentary on that. I won't read too much into that. All this stuff is really long. In conclusion, yes, there is a novel virus that our immune systems haven't seen yet. So to get immune to it, you will have to get infected, at least until a vaccine is developed to bypass the getting sick part and just jumping straight to immune. Most people's immune systems will do that effectively and be fine. A small percentage of unfortunate patients, primarily elderly, immune compromised, etc., will not be able to do that effectively and will need more advanced care. This is true of the cold flu viruses we deal with every year. Follow normal cold flu precautions and seek medical care if you feel your symptoms are severe. No need to get hysterical. This is from another MD, Abdu Shikarway. Shikare? Something like that, anyway. Just a little bit from his three-page comments. I am not scared of COVID-19. What I am scared about is the loss of reason and wave of fear that has induced the masses of society into a spellbinding spiral of panic. I am scared those same epidemic fears will limit trade, harm partnerships in multiple sectors, business and otherwise, and ultimately cultivate in a global recession. But mostly I'm scared about what message we are sending our kids when faced with a threat. Instead of reason, rationality, open-mindedness, we are telling them to panic, be fearful, suspicious, reactionary, and self-interested. And his final one, I implore you all, temper fears with reason, panic with patience, and uncertainty with education. We have an opportunity to learn a great deal about health hygiene and limiting the spread of innumerable transmittable diseases in our society. Let's make this challenge together in the best spirit of compassion for others, patience, and above all, an unfailing effort to seek truth, facts, and knowledge as opposed to conjecture, speculation, and catastrophizing. How do you say that? Catastrophizing. Is that right? You see what I'm trying to say there. And then one more, and this is more to where I've come around here in the last couple of days to, all right, hey, man, just stop being you for a minute and think about it this way. This is like a 10-page read. I do uh, suggest you search it out. It's a guy, a guy named Mark Manson, markmanson.net. The headline is Coronavirus, the real risks and human biases behind the panic. And this is more of a kind of going pushing against the approach that I'm taking. I'm only going to read two, two and a half paragraphs here out of this very, very long and well thought out, well researched and well written piece. But that's what's important to understand is that the point of the quarantines isn't to prevent us all from getting sick. The point of the quarantines is to slow the spread of the virus enough to prevent overloading the healthcare system. So while staying home from an individual risk perspective seems unnecessary and an overreaction, from a systemic risk perspective, it's the only prudent thing to do. The more people who go out and about, the faster this thing spreads. And the faster this thing spreads, the more hospitals get flooded, and the more the hospitals get flooded, the more people die unnecessarily. It's that simple. So no, you and I aren't going to die. 
Hell, we might not even get sick, but we might get others sick, and that may cause others to die. So, yay. It is a uh, blog piece. Uh, Mark Manson again. Read the whole thing. And it, and that's that's a thing I've been told by some people. It's like, yeah, no, no bleep, dude. Of course, you're not going to get sick. This isn't about you. But you might get somebody else sick. Or your kids might get somebody else sick. Or your mom or your girlfriend or your brother. They might get somebody sick who's in a compromising situation. Or who's not in a compromising situation now. Who might be later? Now, I'm still of the overall opinion, everybody stop freaking out. Everybody stop having just mass hysteria over this. But I guess to a certain degree, I do understand the seriousness of it. I mean, hell, they've moved Coachella to October. They've postponed the Pearl Jam concert. There's talk Oh, at South by Southwest. Boom. Gone. Not happening. They're not even postponing that. They're just not going to do it. I mean, the New Orleans uh, Jazz Heritage Festival is at the end of April. Is that going to be the next one on the chopping block? Uh, let's see. Um, Shaking Knees is May 1st. Will it warm up in time? Probably will. But will it? I don't know. The NCAA tournament is starts in, what, two weeks? What, what are we going to do there? That takes place over the entire country. There are a couple of, of conference basketball, men's basketball and women's uh, tournaments that have canceled already. Smaller level to be sure, but it still happened. So I don't know. Uh, I still say it ain't nothing but much of a thing, but that's a very healthy middle-aged white guy talking for you, and there's a lot of people who have uh, a lot more to lose uh, potentially than I do in this exact setting. Coming up next, there were people in Nashville, Tennessee, and all across Middle Tennessee that went to bed the night that the tornadoes hit thinking there was no real chance of severe weather. And that is a frightening thought, especially with the advancements we have in meteorology and the technology that allows for instant information. I'll expand on all that next as the Stone On Air podcast continues. More of Stone On Air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At stoneonair.com. It's a tragic day in our state, uh, a sad day. There are 25 confirmed fatalities across our state from West Tennessee to East Tennessee. Um, I spent the day touring and visiting with victims and walking through neighborhoods and the devastation is um, heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's incredible. Our prayers are greatly needed for families uh, out there who are dealing with uh, a sudden tragic event that has occurred in our state. As we speak, this is moving by News Channel 5. Dan, are you getting this right now? Good. All right, folks, you need to head to your safe place. This tornado is on the ground. It is moving right by Channel 5. This is a tornado. Power flashes around First Tennessee Park right now. This is Live U2 as this moves through the parking lot of Channel 5. This is a direct hit. This is the inside of the tornado right now. If you are with Dan Blummel and I, this is the tornado. It is hitting Channel 5 as we speak. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'll never give up on This is Nashville-based Judah and the Lion. It's the fight song for the new soccer team, the MLS team in Nashville. And it couldn't be more fitting and perfect for a rallying cry for the whole city right now. No matter how hard the sun 
I'll Never Give Up On You, I think is the name of it. So after the tornadoes, we had back in 11, and then when was it again? 13 or something? 14 or 15, something like that? I remember the first ones were in 11. I guess, I think. Anyway, a little while back now. Growing up all these years, just being told or just kind of learning or being implied that, oh, tornadoes don't happen here. We don't get tornadoes in Tennessee. That doesn't happen. Uh, Obviously, (laughs) that ain't true. We do. And it's one of the more terrifying ways to be in danger during a natural disaster because they're so unpredictable. And that's that's wild to think about. Yeah, I love that song. So uh, so good from Judah and uh, the Lion. Because yeah, you can predict that there's tornadic, you know, elements in, in the in the atmosphere, the barometric, barometric pressure, and all the blah da blah da blah da meteorology jargon. But you still just don't know when one's gonna hit. Right? You know when there's a hurricane coming that it's gonna hit. You just, it's just going to. Now, earthquakes would be another one that just pops out of nowhere and you can't even have even a, maybe even a little bit of an, uh, of a, any kind of advanced notice on, but we certainly don't have to deal with anything that, that is devastating as far as earthquakes out here, at least not yet. <laughs> used to say the same thing about tornadoes. Next week might have an earthquake and Market Street open up and the, uh, the entire, half the city fall inside of it. I don't know. But this is not just a Nashville thing. Uh, Cookville, I think, got the brunt of the uh, the fatalities and the overall damage. Nashville got plenty as well, and a little bit uh, of West uh, Tennessee side of Nashville did so also. I don't have all those numbers in front of me. I'm just kind of focusing on Nashville because East Nashville was hit, and it's where my uh, brother lives and his wife and their son and a place that I spend a lot of time at. I'm there six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a year, usually for Titans games, but also for concerts. I was going to be there for Pearl Jam in three weeks from now, and I'll be there April 25th for the Drive-By Truckers, and I'll be there for any other of my Nashville excursions. It's it's a, it's a fantastic community, East Nashville. The entire city's great, but the, uh, the east side is certainly where I spend a lot of time, and they got a ton of damage down Main Street that eventually turns into Gallatin that takes you just uh, a couple miles away from where my brother lives. Just a couple miles away in the other direction is where the Titan Stadium is and lots of uh, great bars, five points, music venues, uh, great artwork, city art, murals, all kinds of stuff. It's uh, one of my favorite places to spend time in. So first of all, we'll start here with the, uh, with the, the bad and the ugly. Father accused of looting in Nashville neighborhood hit by tornado. Uh, the document stated both admitted it was a, a guy and a, and a woman admitted they did not live in the area and had been driving around collecting items, including mattresses, which were in the back of his truck. According to the arrest report, officers secured the vehicle, found six tenths of a gram of marijuana, which means he had some shake in his uh, cup holder. So who cares about that? But 2.6 grams of crystal meth and child endangerment and criminal impersonation. So that was in East Nashville, just people looking to steal after the tornado hit. They can rot directly in hell. And a man accused of drugging and sexually assaulting women at Nashville Shelter for Tornado Victims. And I'll just uh, read you that headline and then move along from there. WKRN is where I got that. Just 
real pieces of bleep. Um, it's just plain disgusting. So let's take a look at the timeline here real quick. This is from the Tennessee, and at 12.35 a.m., the National Weather Service issued a tornado warning for Davidson, Sumner, and Wilson counties. Three minutes later, a twister touched down by the airport, which is more south of the city. More than 90 aircraft were destroyed. Later, debris from the airport would be found miles away. Three minutes after that, the National Weather Service warned of a large and extremely dangerous tornado near Nashville. Again, this is around 1235, 1240 now. An EF2 tornado with 125-mile-an-hour winds passed through the Tennessee state capitol. 1240 or whatever, 53 it was. A EF3 hit East Nashville just shy of 1 a.m., at 136 to 140 mile an hour winds. Five points was in the path of destruction. A, a family dollar, I know exactly where that is. It's the a total def- rundown family dollar, now defunct, was set to be renovated for a new bar, leveled. It's right down the street from several of these bars we would go to all of the time. Uh, siding, slabs of concrete, and other buildings, mater- building materials ripped from structures were scattered up and down Main Street. That's what takes you from the heart of East Nashville and then straight into downtown and to the Titan Stadium. Victims of the storm included businesses old and new, run down and upscale, name brands and mom and pop, all part of the growing East Nashville on Cave. 165-mile-an-hour winds were in Donaldson and, Her- and Hermitage and Mount St. Juliet. The destructive tornado left dozens of homes in Donaldson area torn to shreds. 3.25 a.m. that Tuesday morning, first indication that the storm had been deadly. Nashville police announced two fatalities in East Nashville. Luckily, it wasn't more than that. 6.14 Tuesday morning, and this will make more sense when I read the next piece and give you a little anecdotal story on my way out the door here on the Stone on Air podcast. 6.14 a.m., As the sun rose, the extent of the damage left behind began to become clearer. The lucky ones who slept through the storm, slept through the storm, woke up to the news of death and destruction. And at first when I read that, I was like, wait a second, what are you talking about? Slept through the storm? You didn't pay attention to the warnings? You didn't you didn't see that there was extreme weather and waited out before you went to bed? No, no, there wasn't any warnings. The percentages were so low, which I'll get to here in this last piece I have here. From a uh, an opinion piece from the New York Times, Margaret Renkel, contributing opinion writer, there weren't the massive warnings and coverage that was that was meant to shock it was meant to, to set fear and to scare you. That's not what the national media was doing because that's not what they had. Not all media is bad. Not all media is fake. Not all media is just trying to, to get everybody scared to death. At that time, at that night, the National Weather Service, they have a big presence in Nashville. They have a big hub the National Weather Service does in Nashville. And there was not fear of this happening. It just out of nowhere developed and over the course of an hour was as destructive as anything you could possibly imagine. Here's that, uh, here's that opinion piece again, just portions of it. What it means to be hashtag Nashville strong. Earlier in the evening, the National Weather Service had calculated the likelihood of severe weather during the night as, quote-unquote, a slight risk. 
with a 2% chance of tornadoes within 25 miles of Nashville. I watched the, that video over and over again, trying to understand what I was seeing with my own eyes. This was later on the next day from this writer's perspective. And yet, not seen at all. Six miles away, people were being thrown from their beds, thrown from their homes. Windows were exploding. Walls were collapsing. Roofs were carried away into the sky. Enormous trees were being wrenched from the ground. None of it was touching me. Hardly a leaf stirred in my yard. How was it possible for something so monstrous and so nearby to be at the same time so utterly invisible? It's pointless to rank suffering. Loss is always loss. Grief is always grief. Tornadoes aren't worse than hurricanes or flash floods or wildfires. But tornadoes are unique among natural disasters in the pure randomness of their destruction. They can slam one house to splinters and leave teacups untouched on the kitchen table next door. We don't deserve the suffering it brings, but we cannot protect ourselves against it. Perhaps that's why Nashville has responded to the wreckage by urgently pitching in. All across the city, people are showing up to help friends and strangers They are showing up with work gloves and chainsaws and garbage bags and tarps. They are making casseroles by the dozens and sandwiches by the hundreds. They are making repeat trips to big box stores for flashlights and batteries and blankets and non-perishable food, baby formula, diapers and tampons and hand wipes, over-the-counter medicines, and they are giving it all away. It's a long piece. Well done. I'm not going to read it all to you. That's the gist of it. And I just read that tonight, but just yesterday I talked to my brother who lives in East Nashville. And I found out quickly that him and his wife and their child were safe and their property was fine. But I hadn't talked to him until, you know, whenever it was, yesterday or the day before. And he gave me a call because we were talking about the Pearl Jam show. He's got tickets too. We're going together. And uh, just just a touch base kind of thing. And then we start talking about the tornado. And I said, man, that must, you know, I knew you were good. So that's why I didn't make sure and get a hold of you immediately. But I was like, so, uh, so where were you? Where, how did you take cover when the tornadoes came? And he said, we didn't. <laughs> there was, there was no warning of a tornado because there was not, it, it wasn't going to be a thing until all of a sudden out of nowhere, it was a thing. They went to bed at midnight. 11.45, whatever it is. He gets up at around 7 o'clock in the morning every day, and he's not like me. He, he goes to bed when he needs to. He gets up when he needs to, and he does it with a smile on his face. They woke up the next day, and just like this person who wrote this opinion piece, and were like, uh, what? That, wait, wait, what happened? He told me about a friend of his that lives, I think he said in Mount Juliet, I, it doesn't matter wherever it was, but not near East Nashville, who he is one of his best friends in Nashville, and they don't have a lot of friends in Nashville. He moved there when he was in his mid-30s, and you don't exactly put together a social circle in your mid-30s, right? But this is one uh, guy who has a, a young child, their, their, their son's same age, with some of the same um, uh, similarities that they get along well, and they spend a lot of time together. 
his roof got ripped off of his house and thrown however far away while they were in the closet, you know, scared to death, feeling like any second they're dying. That next day, his name's Charlie. Charlie called my brother Jeff and said, hey, man, how you doing? Are you okay? Before Jeff knew anything of the extent of the overall damage, at least right outside of the East Nashville community. And he, he was just like, oh, yeah, man, this is nuts. This is crazy. Yeah, no, I'm good. How about you? Not knowing that he just <laughs> escaped death the night before. It's just, it's just, I, I hate to say the words fascinating. It's, it's incredible. It's remarkable. And they went to bed that night and had that tornado, which tore apart shreds blocks away, quite literally blocks, not like one or two but maybe 10 to 20 and certainly a half mile in in a couple of different directions. Had that tornado come through and hit, or is that Carter Street? Yeah, Carter Street that's been completely revitalized and is an incredible little stretch of an area of East Nashville. Had it taken a left and gone down that road while they were asleep, they would have been killed likely instantly because they weren't taking precautions because they didn't know to. And that's not a failure of the media or the failure of anybody else or a failure on them. It's just the impossibly unfair destructiveness that is a tornado. And, I mean, everybody gets all happy when it starts getting warm early in the year. Oh, man, it's February. It's warm. That's what brings tornadoes. I'm not trying to be a climate change guy here all of a sudden, but I am saying don't get all excited because it's warm out. Get concerned. Get scared. If it's January and it's 70, yeah, that ain't good. February, even some into March. It's not how this works. But after reading that and talking to him, I was like, oh, my God. Because even when we had the tornadoes here, at least one of the go-rounds, I can't remember which one it was, there was talk about it for two or three days. Two or three days. And I watch David Glenn, and if David Glenn's talking, I'm listening. And if he's telling me something that I need to be doing, I do it. And so at least I was like, okay, well, I think something might serious happen. I don't know. I don't really believe it, but it might. They went to bed that night thinking, eh, it's stormy night. I'm going to lay down and go to bed. And had that tornado... 160 mile an hour winds. It's ripped through Main Street, four, three or four miles away from their house, just down from the uh, Tennessee Titans Stadium, basement east, and all that stretch. Five points. Had that just gone a little bit to the left at 160 miles an hour, a couple of miles, my brother, his wife, and his kid are dead. And that's more real than a virus going to kill us all. But uh, I don't know. That's wild. All right, that's it. I'm done. It is late. It is 1 o'clock in the morning now on officially 311 day. I'm going to go find out if they've called Washington, Idaho, or North Dakota in the Democratic primary. doesn't matter if they have or not. Biden is going to be our uh, nomination, our nominee, and I am so excited about that. I have a, a Joe Biden guy, and I have been for a long time. I know he's old. I know he's slipping a little bit. And, you know, is he the savior of the world? No. But can he beat Trump? Probably not, but he's the only one that's got a chance. All right. Y'all have a great week. Might do a show next week. Might not. I don't know. Love you to death. See you later. Bye.